Blog Talk Radio. and around the world, streaming live on the internet, it's Real Estate Coaching Radio, bringing you the latest news, interviews, and secrets of the top producers. Hosted by award-winning real estate coaches, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back to Real Estate Coaching Radio. We are your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. And without any further delay, I'm going to introduce you guys to, and welcome back, Julie Harris, my co-host. Julie, welcome back. Thank you so much. It's always a great pleasure to be here. And guys, we're going to skip the normal way we start our radio shows, and we're going to jump right to a special guest we have all uh, for all of you today. Allow me a moment to introduce you to today's superstar, Mr. Frederick Eklund. Welcome to the call, Frederick. Thank you. That's fantastic. It's good to hear your voice. We're, of course, fans of yours. And many of you guys out there listening know Frederick already as the star of the hit show Million Dollar Listing New York, which is on Bravo TV. Of course, Frederick is also one of the nation's top realtors. And few agents have your track record, Frederick. It's super impressive. You're the number two producer at Douglas Elliman nationwide in 2012 with more than $1.5 billion, that's with a B, $1.5 billion in real estate sales over the last 11 years and founder of the most high-end residential real estate brokerage in Scandinavia, which is called Eklund Stockholm, New York, with three offices and 50 employees. I also understand that you've set a record of your sales in 28 buildings in Manhattan just last year. So without any further delay, I'll turn the interview over to you, Tim. So, Frederick, again, to follow up on what Julie said, thank you sincerely for your time today, and I appreciate it because I know you are extremely busy. So for the sake of your scheduling, let's just jump right to the questions. Sound good? Sounds good to me. So um, I sent you 10 questions ahead of time, and these questions are all designed specifically for the top-producing agent and the wannabe top-producing agent to learn directly from, um, unquestionably, one of the nation's leading agents, how they manage their time and their business. And the first question I wrote down, and I thought for quite a while about actually what should should be the first question. I think this is probably the most important one, really is, how do you prioritize your time with all the different things that show up on your radar on a, I'm sure, a moment-by-moment basis? Yeah, I mean, time, I think, is everything. Um, You know, scheduling is everything when you are a successful real estate agent because not only time is limited for yourself, but also for your clients, your sellers, your buyers, and then scheduling the appointments, and then your developers' appointments. And uh, it's a bit kind of like an organized chaos. Um, You... Well, I try to be organized with my time. I try to prioritize different things. And, um, you know, over the years, I built a team. I have, I believe we are a bit over 10 now, 12, 13 people here in New York. Uh, and like you said, Julia, 50 people in, in Stockholm. So at this point, I'm, I'm blessed and lucky to not being able to handle my own calendar in the sense that I have an assistant that's employed by me to only handle my calendar. And... Um, you know, I have two cars, I have two drivers. I The calendar is basically filled up uh, weeks in advance. Um, and we have so many listings on the team that I do very few actually showings myself these days. I have other team members. My time is 
focused in on pre-development meetings where I sit in and I design these buildings, program them and maximize light and air and pick finishes and, you know, basically price them out years in advance of them being even built and then selling them out. But I rarely these days do open houses and showings myself. I pitch new sellers and then on top of it all, which really screws my calendar up, which is every year I, I, I you hear it in my voice even thinking about it now because we're about to go start start production a million dollar listing season three. I you know Filming is very, very intense, and it takes months and months and months, around nine months to film a season, and it's in real time, and they film my my job, but it's it screws the calendar up quite heavily. And then to, to complicate things even more, I, I go to Sweden quite a lot. Um, I'm leaving in about two weeks. I'm going to be there for a week, and fitting that in. Uh, you know, day to day with the six hour time difference between New York and Stockholm um, and the thousands of emails coming in every day from, from the company there that I need to deal with in real time makes everything complicated. So it, it sounds overwhelming and it is overwhelming, but it's, I'm, I'm, <laughs> it, it's, it's a good overwhelming feeling and it's something that I obviously chosen um, and worked, worked hard for for many years and I'm finally here to kind of enjoy it. So. Mm, yeah, I guess that's a complicated answer to an easy question. Well, what I heard, though, is you're prioritizing your time specifically around the things that are going to have the biggest impact on your business. That's what I heard you say. And everything yeah. else you figured out how to delegate, basically. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I, looking back at my career in the last 10, 11, 12 years, you know, I started off alone and I started working with buyers. That's kind of like the natural uh, start for any real estate agent, I think, unless you go into rentals. And then after two or three years, I realized very quickly that the big money, let's say, um, the biggest reward, at least creatively, would be working with developers and going on the other side, representing sellers, actually the big developers. So that's what I've been focused on. And then after like year four or five, uh, to fast forward, I started building this team because, yes, it's about delegating, but it's also about, I think, um, having a sort sense of community or a friendship and I guess a second family in a way because I don't have a family here. My family's back in in, in Sweden and I, I felt that real estate was very was very being alone in a way. You know, you the highs are high and the lows are lows and it's really fun to have a group of people coming in to work with every day. So I started building a team and that made me that allowed me I guess to delegate um, and, and prioritize the time. But, you know, I also want to say that the beauty of real estate is that you never really know where it's going to lead, and therefore it's, it's important to, to make yourself accessible, and it's, it's important to take as many appointments, meet as many people, and hustle as much as you can, because you never know who's going to be your next big client or deal, and it's really important to be out there. So I, I don't want to be the kind of like super broker who is hard to get to and... I don't do my own showings, and I, you know I don't. Um, like I try to, I try to pride myself that the same person, at least for the new development, that sits in the pre-development marketing meetings and design these buildings, is going to be the same person in the hard hat in the construction site later selling. So it's good to have a team and a support system behind you, but it's also very important to be connected to the market and the pulse of the market in real time. So you brought up two things I think were kind of interesting. A lot of the agents on the call obviously have developed, uh, worked with developers and builders and whatnot. 
And one of the problems that occasionally creeps up is when the same listing agents representing two different builders or developers. Sometimes the developers don't they don't quite grasp the idea that it doesn't really matter. The product is what's unique, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, one two two condos, two apartments are never identical. They're similar. So how do you deal with the different expectations of these developers? Because obviously developing gives you a great advantage because you control inventory. Um, but when you deal with these these high-pressure, high-power developers and they're expecting Frederick Eklund to be there at their beck and call, how is that working out? How do you manage that? Well, you know, I feel really blessed to be at this uh, place where not only am I in the center of new development here in New York, um, and like you said, we do, there's a few amount of real estate agents that really control the majority of the inventory of new development coming to the market here. But I also feel blessed because I'm in in the heart or the center of the storm, if you want to call it, on the on the second wave of new development. The first wave here in Manhattan was 2000, 2001, 2002. And... Um, I guess there was a third wave, really, at least inventory and pricing-wise, around 2006. And then really now is, I guess, yeah, the third wave, in a sense. It's coming back and coming back with a vengeance. There's a lot of product coming around, 8,000 units that we know of below 92nd Street. And myself, or me and my team, we have 16 buildings signed up that we're working on pre-development that's going to be rolled out over the next one and a half years. So to, to answer your question, and that's why I love new development and I find it very creative because no site is, they're all different. And a lot what we have to do is that we sometimes, the developers come to us and say, in what area should I buy? Why, what's the future here? Where Where's the biggest appreciation going to be? And, and then we direct them there and sometimes they come to us when they're looking at a site and they're asking us what we can do there. And then we sit with the architect. Sometimes I pick the architect and we... We sit with the what we call the envelope of the of the site, and we come up with the unit size. It should be small units, big units. What price points? How we can? What I always try to do: maximize price per square foot. Uh, because I always say in New York, especially in this market, people are don't they're not buying price per square foot. They're buying absolute price points. So to make the units maybe a little bit smaller, efficient, we can drive price per square foot up up by keeping a, a sort of a doable price point. And then it's also about knowing your competition, what the inventory what, what inventory is coming to that neighborhood and what other buildings you're going to be competing with. And exactly. so so I guess the answer is um it's all in the in the site and the and the location and, and what you can do in zoning and FAR and, and kind of creating, I guess, a brand for a building before it's even built and, uh, and identify the ideal buyer, who he or she is and who is going to buy or pay the most for this particular location and then programming, creating that that building from scratch. That's why I find it so creative because I say it might sound cocky, but I say any agent can put, you know, snap some photos and put on a listing system and wait for the phone to ring. But very few people are can control the new development process. Right. That's a really uh, important differentiator. And that's what I'm, I'm, what I'm hearing you say, basically, is you're not just going in there and competing for a listing like maybe a traditional agent would. You're, you're essentially working on the, working directly with the developers even before they know they, what they want to build or develop or what have you. So you're, you're at the very, very preliminary stage. It's not just at the point where you're having to compete for the actual listing. So that definitely is a huge differentiator. Yeah, so, yeah, years in advance. But it's also always good to, because I would say, I always get this question, how, what, what percentage of your business 
of new development. And I think income-wise, it's probably like 80%, 85% these days. But it's really important to, to, like I said, being accessible and having the pulse of the market, to be able to, to, to create the right product, you also have to do in, be in the resale market. And you have to yep. know that market. Right now in New York, I feel like the two markets are splitting up. Um, there is a very strong resale market. But then there's an incredible stratospheric like new development market where the pricing is just uh, and these buildings with stark architects that we're we're launching are is, the product is very sophisticated and therefore the pricing um, is up there. So it's important to be in both markets at the same time. So a lot of agents they always like to ask lead generation questions and I love asking it just for the sake of listening to what people say. But if you could only do one thing for lead generation, if maybe you have to you're gonna have to think back a decade ago when you're first getting started, but if you could only do one thing for lead generation to make the phone ring, to make the emails come in, to make the opportunities happen, what would it be? Well, uh, yeah, I mean it's a boring answer to I guess a fun question. But I think the most important, the one thing, is to to just keep in touch with with everyone. I mean, not only your 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 contacts, your friends, your family, but um, people that you have actually worked with already. So I think that's the number one. To, to turn the question around, the number one mistake people do, including myself, I'm in fault here too, because as what we talked about, time time, you get so busy that you kind of like you forget to reach out. And when you don't reach out, somebody else will reach out, uh, your competition. And it's all about keeping in touch and reminding them that you're there and that you are interested and loving them and you want to work with them and you are excited. And if you if you don't, you know, you, you'll be forgotten. So I think that's one thing. I used to, when I had more time and I, and I had less business, I, I used to go through my contact uh, in Outlook, which has obviously thousands of, of of people in there. And I used to take one letter starting with A, like per week, or try to call and email every single solitary person starting with an A, and then I did B and so forth, and like really worked through that. And it's amazing how much business you can get just by you know, looking inside your contact list instead of trying to get new. Everyone talks about new, 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 of course. But um, you know, like in New York City, half of the people that we meet on the street own, half of the people rent. So half of the people, in effect, that you already have been in contact with, that you already know, um, that they they own. They are looking, or the other half maybe is looking to to, to own. So you know, and I think also to 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 add on to that, you should always ask for new business. If you don't ask, then you're not going to get it. Ask for referrals. Ask ask. For more all the time. How do you do it? How do you specifically ask? That's a, you're well, I'm very straightforward. I'm very Swedish in that sense, maybe. <laughs> I, I just ask. I don't. I I know that I'm really good at what I do, and I don't. I'm not ashamed of that, and I'm the best, and you should use me. So. Well, you you just said you just said it. I mean, the reason that most agents don't ask is because they don't have your confidence. They don't they don't really actually feel like. You know, they are the best person for the job, whereas psychologically you're on the other side of that. So obviously you're the best person, and why the heck wouldn't you want to use me as the mindset? So I appreciate that. So so we talked about scheduling a second ago. I'm curious, daily minimum standards for yourself. Do you have any daily minimum things that you do that every single day is going to happen no matter what, business-wise, of course? No, I think that's difficult. I mean, at least for me to have daily because – 
no, I, I have monthly. Uh, I mean, the daily is more like my life in the sense of like I want to go to the gym every day. I want to try to get seven hours of sleep or more. And, you know, those, because I always say the race is so long. I'm, I'm only 30, well, I feel like older, but I'm only 36. And my career, um, although I've been in real estate for 11 years, now I feel like it's just beginning and the most exciting stuff is ahead. But I know that the race is very long. So if you want to be truly successful, you've got to work on those aspect and maybe we'll talk about that later in the call but the balance of it all if there is balance so um but the monthly the more business related goals is like we my business partner and i john we have this goal that we always want to hit around 25 million dollars in closed sales every month and if we don't do that we get very nervous because and, which is something I love about real estate. It's scary, but I love it. You're, you're never cooler or better than your last deal, or in this case, your last month. So you get very high on the feeling that, wow, we broke a record, or like in the month of July, we set our personal record, which is $82 million in sales in one month uh, for the team here. And and it was a, an amazing month. But then August came, which was a slow month for us because everybody was away, basically. I was away, too, <laughs> a little bit. And we, I think we ended up around $18 million, which was a bad month for us. And all of that warmth from July was forgotten. And, you know, <laughs> so so I think, yeah, th those are the goals. We, and we try to monitor that really well. We're, when we submit the deals to our manager or to the office here every month, we are... We look over those numbers carefully and we try to evaluate why we didn't do well or why we did exceptionally well like July. Well, you mentioned the life balance question. Let's just ask that next because I'm sure there's a lot of people that are really curious how you're going to respond to that. So having balance in life, Frederick, is that uh, an admirable goal or is it a myth? No, I think it is. It, it, it can be done. I feel like I'm slowly getting there. Um, and I, I, I will be the first one to admit that I have had none, um, which is not doable for, for in long term. Short term, you can do that, especially when I opened, when I started the company in Sweden, you know, uh, I, I, people told me I was nuts and that, I, you know, how are you going to run a company that, well, first of all, it doesn't even exist. How are you going to start and then run a company on the other side of the world, basically? in a different time zone. Uh, you're not even licensed uh, in Sweden, which I'm still not, um, because it takes about three years to get a real estate license. I'm just the owner of the company, a market that you don't really know because you've been living in New York for so many years. And I just had this gut feeling that I was going to be able to do it, but it was a lot of hard work, and I had to go there almost every three weeks, sitting on a plane. And then I didn't really, you know, I slept a little bit on the planes, and I, I went straight to the office, uh, and I worked all day, and it was very, very intense in the beginning, like every newly started start, startup is, I guess, the first couple of years. And then when I film as well, it's, it's, I don't really have balance because we film long, 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 long days and all the time sometimes. And uh, it's hard to have balance. But I'm trying, and I think meeting Derek, getting married, you know, being a little bit older now, the company in Sweden is doing really well. It's very profitable. And then I, I guess it's all... I think more of it. I try. I have put in more of an effort to have balance because I felt really tired there for for a while, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't working out. Because at this level, I feel I owe it to myself and to my clients and my developers, and maybe this sounds stupid, but even to the viewers of the show. Like if if I know myself when I'm really tired or stressed, and I don't I don't make the right decisions for myself. 
and it just become it's actually I'm become my own worst enemy. So I think yes, balance is you know very important. I think a lot about this 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 balance thing, and I think maybe how I define happiness in a way is when we have balance, but only when we really have balance. Because if you're not balanced, you're not happy. So so I see life almost like a a pie with p- different pieces of the pie with your love life and your professional life and your health and vacation family i mean there's a lot of pieces to that pie and uh, for everyone one piece of the pie is usually much bigger than the other let's say it's work or if you're on vacation maybe there's no work and you feel imbalanced because you're missing work and only really when all those pieces of the pie are are the same size which is basically just a glimpse here and there, a second here and there, you feel that, wow, balance. That's when at least I'm truly happy. So, And then you kind of like go between balance and imbalance, and you try to keep that balance, which is difficult. Well, it sounds like what you're talking about is a lot, what, what, kind of what, uh, not to go on the spiritual side here, but what a lot of people talk about in terms of becoming, you know, essentially enlightened. As you go through the stages of life, you essentially are ex- uh, exposed to different priorities. In other words, if you're at a, you know, the stage you're in life where you are now, it's obviously prioritized around career and earning money and, you know, building a long-term legacy and whatever else it is that's motivating you. And then as you get older, maybe your priorities shift towards, you know, some of the other categories of life. And that's kind of what the old, uh, you know, the old mm-hmm. spiritual folks would always say that you should be focusing on this when you're in your 30s and your 40s and really in your 50s, you should be focusing on what you're focusing on. And the older you get, the more you should focus on the spiritual aspect. So I think you've got pretty much figured out, Frederick, if you don't mind me <laughs> saying from a coach's perspective. <laughs> so looking back... Looking back at the start of your real estate career when you were a new agent, um, what would you have spent more time on? This is actually a question that I had a student want me to ask you. So, um, In essence, what they wanted to know is if you had, uh, looking back, essentially what were the mistakes you made, basically things you shouldn't have been spending time on, and in retrospect, what would be the things you would spend more time on? And remember, we've got agents that are, you know, they're probably, some of them are selling 50 homes a year, 100 homes a year, 200 homes a year. And for the most part, um, they're always wondering, well, okay, so you know, here's this guy that's at the top of the mountain, or at least he's uh, quickly uh, climbing the mountain. If he's looking back down the mountain, I wonder what he would have preferred he had spent less time doing as he was climbing and more time doing as he was climbing. Mm, well, I understand the question. I just don't like to look at life like that, that there are mistakes. I know that sounds quirky, and it's, I'm, I'm, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, that I've done everything perfectly because I haven't but you know I am who I am because I did what I did and you know all these experiences and the failures if you want to call them the failures they weren't obviously failures because as long as you maybe it's about exactly that if you when you fail you 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 choose to look at it as a non-failure and try to learn from it but yeah of course to try to help and inspire people you know, who are starting their career, maybe, you know, should I have started on a team uh, earlier? Probably, because, like, in the very beginning, um, I didn't know anything. I didn't even know the streets of New York. I didn't know the neighborhoods. I didn't, I hardly knew the language. Well, I knew English, but I wasn't, you know, and, and sitting around a team, a top team, and just listening to them, having them guide you, because you can't learn these things in school, I always say. To the ups and the downs, and when a deal goes sour, how you repair it, and 
how you present yourself, all that stuff, you can really learn, only learn in a team, in, a, in an environment where many different players are, and you, get, you take the best of, of each and every person on the team, and you, you make your own soup, sort of speak. And, and, and I, I was all alone. The first, I would say, at least a year, I just sat in front of my computer. I had no clients. I tried to read as many trade magazines online as possible, and I went to open houses, other agents' open houses, and I, I used to search the top most expensive listings in my area, and I went to those open houses, and I scanned sort of those agents um, and tried to see why, think why are these people successful? Do they dress? Do they talk a certain way? What, what is it about? Can I see a pattern? Can I make myself you know, like them by keep, well, while keeping my integrity and being myself, of course. But, so you, I was alone for a long time. And then, yeah, like I s explained, um, after a few years there, I, I, I started my own team. But I think you will learn much, much quicker if you, if you right away get on a team. Yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. And I love what you said about failure, by the way. Um, and one of the things we say is it's too soon to tell, right? So don't label anything a failure because it's really too soon to tell where the lesson lies. It could be weeks, months, years later that you really understand why you experienced that, what other people would have labeled as a failure. So I really appreciate that. But, uh, but I think also that it comes with a little bit of experience, but I think also going back, I, sorry I keep talking about a team so much, but my business partner, John, he... We, we made a commitment to each other many years ago that we were going to laugh a lot. Uh, such a simple commitment and it's hard to live up to, but we do have a lot of fun. And I think that this industry is not that glamorous and it's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of screaming and shouting and, and fighting, I, I feel like, not with your fists, but um, especially in New York, it's a very competitive, fast-paced, and you unless you try to have fun, and I hope that shows on the show too, because I am really quirky and my high kicking and I'm like always having fun, even in scene, I guess, but in, you know, in, in real, you know, in, every, every day I try to, to make myself laugh. And I guess my point is that when you fail, like I've actually, I'm able to laugh at it. Yeah, Not always, but most, mo most of the time. You, you got it because it's like otherwise you would drive yourself nuts. And that this absolute, industry is up and down. And that absolutely comes over on the TV show, by the way. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah. So what are, your, what are the biggest misconceptions that people have about a top producing agent, or if you'd like to change that to you, whichever way you'd want to answer that question, but I'm, what is the biggest misconceptions that you sense that people have about a top producing agent or really about anybody successful or about you specifically? Mm. Well, I think like I think the accessibility is really it's it's important. I think that's actually a problem for me and my my job. Like I, it sounds strange after maybe I started off the call saying how busy I am and it's hard to manage your own calendar even, but I think you know that I or we won't take on listings under a certain price, or you only handle the $20 million, or you're a TV star, so you're not... You're, I, mean, I met a lady on the street, actually, yesterday. She gave me her business card outside a, a listing that I was showing on Bowery, and she she asked me, like, oh, it's actually real? You're in real estate? I thought that was a show only. <laughs> so people don't really understand that, like, we take on everything. I sell in Brooklyn. I sell, I, I sell in Harlem. I sell... I mean... I sell all over Manhattan. I sell obviously in Sweden, and and um, we we take on everything. And I like to have a diversity in my in my product, what I'm selling, and and we try to. That's something actually we're working for for the fall, uh, a marketing campaign, if you want, 
um, to show that like we're real people behind the show or behind being number two or number one or whatever we are. You know, behind all these like mega listings, we are we're, we're a phone call away. That's why I like to do things like this because hopefully, you know, you show a little a few more layers and depth, and you, you yeah, we can talk openly about these things. So I, I'm I'm kind of curious. You bring up the show. Obviously, that's become a big part of your life. I mean, for, mm -hmm. you don't really have a choice because it's such a huge time commitment. What effect um, has that had? A, a net positive or a net negative effect on your business? It seems like a stupid question, but I'm curious about the answer. No, it definitely helped my business a lot. Um, it has, but it's hard to monitor exactly how much. You know, I was a real estate broker for almost 10 years before Bravo came into my life compared to the other guys. Um, I was always... <laughs> no, it's a, it's a fact. They were the first I, to say it. I, I think Ryan's been in the industry for like three years and Luis maybe four. I don't know, but it's... it's uh, so it's, it's, very, it's different for me. Um, like at Douglas Elliman here, because they, this, this company that I work for, the largest real estate firm on the East Coast, we, I think we have over 80 offices and 5,000 agents. I was number eight the year prior to the show aired, and then I was number, I went to number two um, after first season one aired, and we'll see this year. But I, I think that, um, I think it definitely helps. It, it, especially developers, they understand the power of the network and how many millions of people watch the show in over 100 countries. And they love the fact that they're not emotionally attached, let's say, to the product. They have to sell. They want to sell. They have big projects, and the project can take years. So putting them, or me putting their product on the show, um, and even if they don't want to be on the show, they understand hundreds of thousands of people come in and look at all my listings and look at my profile. And that way, it will always spill over to their listings. So, so for that, for, you know. But then I think it's like as with everything in life, it's probably a lot of people who, unfortunately, who would say, "Oh, I want to keep this conf confidential. I don't want to work with a TV star. I don't want to, you know, he's too busy." So, it, it's always hard to monitor. I think once when I decided I was going to do it, which was not an easy decision, I everyone in my life. Um, all my competitors, people, even my family said, you're not going to, don't do it because it's going to ruin your career. And it was just something in my my stomach that my gut feeling like, no, it's actually, I want to do it. I think I'd be good at it and I think it's going to help my business. And, and looking back at it, it's, of course, it has. And it, it's kind of funny, actually, I don't want to be mean, but those same competitors who said back then that it was going to ruin my career, now they're saying, you know, he's number one only because of the show. So you, well, can Frederick, you can never I, win with certain people. Oddly enough, Frederick, rarely are your competitors the best people to go to for business advice. I'm sure you'll agree. <laughs> right. Uh, so, you know, would you consider yourself a, a competitive person? Would you cons would that is that something you'd feel comfortable labeling yourself as a very competitive person? Yeah, 100%. I think that's great. I mean, you have to be in this industry. Like I always say, like the true driving forces behind an agent, a super agent or a really big agent is either ego or money. That sounds very harsh, and I just want to explain what I mean by that. Ego, I don't mean ego in a bad way. I mean like being not trying, want to be number one, winning the weekly competition in the office, seeing your face next to the listing that you worked so hard on, getting, um, you know, really trying to set, even if you compete within, with yourself, trying to set records, that's what I mean. And the other 
driving force. I'm not driven by money at all. My business partner is, and he has no problem saying that. That's why we work really well together. He is not interested in the ego side at all, but only in the money. And he gets like a high when we get a commission check. I'm more driven about the, from the, the, the ego side. So I think it's if you have to have one of the two. So I've, so never, I, see, I've never seen a real, good real estate agent who wants to, you know, I love helping people. That's a really honorable and great side, um, but it's not going to make you, unfortunately, I'm just telling the truth here, a super agent because it's, 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 a really, it's a really tough business and you have to, every morning, jump out of your bed if you want to become like a top and you have to have some sort of almost internal power plant of energy and drive and I, I, I only see it in those two um, forces. See it. People that are driven by money or people driven by ego. I, I have to say, Frederick, you're shockingly introspective, knowing yourself well enough to know that your ego is what's motivating you. But I, I'm going to also suggest I don't really sense much ego on this call. I've really sensed. No, but that's why I said I'm not me ego in a bad way, saying I'm the best in the best in the world or the biggest in the world. It's more, it's more like I don't. I've been trying to look back in my childhood or whatever I grew up. Why, why am I so competitive? Why, you know, where is it all coming from? And, and and when I was younger, I actually thought it was kind of a curse in a way because I could get very sad if I wasn't, you know, back in school. And but then I kind of like just started looking at it as a blessing because it is, it's it's a good thing, and I shouldn't be ashamed of saying one, I I, I I'm competitive, or two, I want to be number one. I think that's a great thing. And. And but you know it comes with the territory. Also, you have to be able to. Once again, I said that laugh at yourself. You're not always gonna win, and you're gonna lose a lot of the times. And then you're just gonna have to pick yourself up and, and have fun with it. So uh, the last question I have is is why why you in the most competitive real estate market in in the world? You have to it has to be the most competitive real estate market in the world. Why have you succeeded? You've mentioned a lot of uh, a lot of reasons, but I'm just curious. Why have you succeeded at such a high level where you know, obviously a lot of others have struggled and, and I'm sure washed out of the business. Why have you, if, if you could encapsulate it, if you were writing a, the back cover of your biography and it only could be a paragraph, what would you say? God, that's a hard question. I mean, I think, you know, the unglamorous answer, one, is there's really hard work. But I think you there's a lot of, going back to when I started in the industry and I was, like I told you, I went to the open house and I studied the big, let's say, stars of our industry. Those stars are almost all gone. And that's something, John, my business partner and I, we talk a lot about. We never want to be the has-been or the, the people that were stars. It's like, how do you reinvent yourself and how do you keep being relevant and keep marketing yourself? And why is it that in our industry, there's very few people, at least in our market, I don't know about the Miami, the LA, and the other hubs, so to speak, how, how, how it works, but it's, it, it's like people blow up and they become very big for a couple of years and then they disappear almost. And, you know, when I started back 10, 11, 12 years ago, the listings were coming in via fax, um, as an example, and we didn't have a... The internet, well, obviously there was an internet, but it wasn't, the listings weren't on there. And then I was the first person that, that really, I felt at least in the industry, that got the Blackberry, it was called the Blueberry back then, and had that big wheel that you scroll down. And I used to answer thing, people, my clients, in real time, and they were in shock. They didn't even understand how I could answer in real time, because they didn't understand that there was a device that actually <laughs> made you run on the street while, anyway. So that's like... 
that's not that long ago. I mean, when I talk about it, I feel like I'm 80 years old, but it wasn't that long ago. And now, you know, that's why I always like to read the comments on the television show and on the blogs and the people that, because everyone seems so opinionated about it. And there's a lot of, obviously, people that are, I mean, people love this show, but there's also a lot of people within our industry who finds it very, I don't know what the right word is, but they they watch it, but they, is it jealousy? I don't know, but it's just, to me, the show is just like kind of like when the blueberry came or blackberry or the internet, the listing started, we started sharing everything online in real time. It's This industry of ours is evolving, and if you're not evolving with it, you're going to die like the dinosaurs. And that's a really tough thing for people to hear. And Going back to the ego side, I'm probably going to, you know, not be able to keep up myself uh, forever, but it, I think it's an important thing to think about. And, you know, the buyers and the sellers are changing, and the technology is changing, and the way that we do business and conduct ourselves is changing, and you've got you to gotta change with it. You know, Frederick, that you, you sort of posed a great question, and you answered it very eloquently. I'm, I'm kind of curious, what is driving you right now? You mentioned ego. Um, and you also, and I love the fact that you mentioned the fact that there's so many agents that are essentially, they were shooting stars. They've had two or three really fantastic years, and I certainly have seen that happen. A lot of agents that were, you know, had their own private jets and you name it, during the bubble, they're gone. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of them are just, a lot of washout happened as a result of that, some of it really tragic. So mm-hmm. you you obviously have thought, and you and your partner, John, have thought about, well, so why is it that some last for a long period of time while others wash out? How are you going to keep yourself, as we like to say here, frosty, motivated, looking forward, always looking for the next rung? Is that something that you think about? Yeah, I mean, it's something that I, I don't only think about, I worry about it because I have bad days too. I have bad months or weeks and I sometimes, I, I, you know, going back to the calendar, I get overwhelmed and I ask myself, you know, is it worth it? Can I do it? I think, you know, just have to be honest about that. But I think the most important thing basically is, is also being true to yourself. I think maybe, I mean, I can only speak for myself. I don't know why these people blow up and then they disappear. But if you're not you know you're not yourself because this is this is such a demanding industry and it's a people industry and you have to like really love what you do you're not you're going to burn out you're not going to last so i think and there's so many different things you can do in our industry these days um everything from rentals to sales buyers you know the high end the low end the everything in between and then you have the new development and you can even go into develop you can start your own company. There's so many things you can do. There's so many different levels to what you can do. So you really like have to navigate and find like who you are in all of this. And if you do that, I think it's a given. You will last longer. And then I think it's also to have being a little bit humble about the market because I think we all think we can control it. We all think we know where it's going. But the truth is, no one really knows anything, and we don't really know anything at least until we look in the back mirror and then we see what happened. But so, you know, I've seen a few turns now, very dramatic turns here, and it can turn again tomorrow. So you really need to prepare yourself as a real estate agent that 2008-9 part of 10 was very important for me because we didn't make any money really. The 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 spring of 2009, um, I remember I was the only agent in the entire city of New York who did the deal in Soho the first quarter. It was the only deal that was recorded on Green Street, an apartment. And we worked 
as hard back then as we are doing now, but we made zero dollars. And it was very tough. And a lot of people left the industry and a lot of people, you know, had a hard time. I mean, I had a hard time too, but I think you, I humbled and I learned a lot about, yeah, what, all the things actually that we talked about in today's call. So do you mind if I ask a quick follow-up on that? Because you really just touched on something very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so with having experienced the setbacks professionally, how have you built your business in preparation of, and basically have you built your business around the ability to ebb and flow depending on the market conditions? Um, well, you can't, but you can try. I mean, you in development, we try to always, when we program buildings, we try to yeah, we we it's risk management really. Like if the market tanks, um, do we really want to sit with ten million dollar apartments in this particular location? No, we want to like we want to be in the two and a half to three million or even below two million because in, in those apartments will always sell here in New York. Uh, maybe that sounds crazy to people anywhere else, but the, that you know that below two million is 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 very inexpensive here. So, uh, so we, we talk, in, and then in the resale business, you know, you going, you have to be relevant. You just have to stay. You have to really stay. I guess save money too. I mean, in a way, you, so you, you're, you're prepared. And then I think it's also, I talk a lot about these things with my brokers in Sweden and try to give them inspiration and inject energy into their heads because we have to also accept, I guess, acknowledge what this is, this industry. It is cyclical, going up and down, and you can't just like choose to only take the good. You have to take the good with the bad. And and I think that real estate agents, myself included, we always complain. It's like we're never ever happy. And like we, when the market's good, it's too good because I'm in a bidding war and I lose out, or there's no inventory, I can't find anything. And then when it's bad, I'm not making any money, and it's like. Just you have to you have to like it's almost like I want to draw it on a piece of paper uh, the ups and the downs over many many years and if you can't take all of it then don't take any of it then just get out. Nationally, so, I, I'm sure you, I'm sure you've heard this and read this and know this, but nationally, real estate has a tendency to go in seven year cycles, and we're just mm-hmm. coming to the end nationally. Certainly not in your market. Your market's on a wholly different thing, but uh, nationally, we're coming at the end of a seven year downward you know cycle, and we're just at the beginning stages of a seven year upward cycle. So, sounds you know, good to me. List- yeah, exactly. Is there anything else you'd like to say to all the listeners out there? There's going to be eventually tens of thousands of folks listening to this interview. Anything you'd like to pass along? No, I think it's it's very. I feel very rewarding to do something like this because I feel like um, whenever I'm being, we didn't talk about the PR of of what I you know stay relevant. I work a lot with PR and I do. I have my own PR company and you know pushing through and becoming you know getting myself on the show. And, you know, it's all. Those are all. Frederick, business. talk about it. I those are all. Well, those are all business. No. <laughs> well, that's my point. Those are all business decisions. Like I. Right. Those. You know, I. I almost every day I'm in the press here, and um, yes, it's related to that ego discussion and, and vanity. I think it's. I think it's fun and it's hilarious, but it's also it's, it's a lot of hard work behind that, and you know to build to build that in the press. So. I guess why I'm bringing that up is it's, I find this particular form very rewarding because in the press, you know, they edit you down and it's like you're always, you can become very one-dimensional when you do bigger pieces. So here, hopefully, you know, people will understand that like it humanizes, um, I guess, hopefully me as a real estate agent. So I, I just, I, I want to thank 
you and everyone who's listening. I mean, the show is so amazing, and I feel like I, I, I sigh and I, I feel like I say here on, on this interview that it's so much work. It's so incredibly rewarding, not only to film it, because I'm so crazy. I get a high in front of the camera, and I go crazy, and I just love it. <laughs> uh, but it's also so amazingly rewarding to get all these emails and thousands of people telling you that you inspire people and you know you, they actually like watch the show to learn from me or, or the way that I do business and I, I find that it's I want to do more of those things and I told the producers like you know I, I, I that, that's the one thing that I never ever expected that people would actually get inspired so that's really um, yeah I'm very happy about that we have other coaching clients, Frederick, and other superstars that are on the Selling LA show. We have some folks that do HGTV stuff and things like that. They just we haven't sought those people out. They just have, you know, we've been lucky enough to coach a lot of them. And you brought up something, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to ask this. So if you don't, how did you get yourself on the show? How did that happen? Um. Sorry, I just got an email here. <laughs> the, well, it's a funny story, actually. I haven't told a lot of people that, but I, I this was like six years ago. I thought um, I should be on television, and I thought it would be really good for my business, right? So I hired a production company, a friend of mine, a small company, and I put a pilot together called The Billion Dollar Broker. I was actually, I have it still, and it's the funniest thing in the world because I'm really young and I'm really crazy and I'm flying around a helicopter and I'm showing people apartments and I'm really quirky and insane. Anyway, it's like a 12-minute pilot. So we got a meeting with Andy Cohen. It was $10,000, the pilot that I paid out of my own money. And I got a meeting with Andy Cohen finally at Bravo, and he said, you know, this is so hilarious. I mean, we love this guy. I mean, who is he? This is so fun. We, You know, it's amazing, but... We have a real estate show. It's called Million Dollar Listing LA. It's very successful. And the day we think or interested in doing a New York spin-off or version, we'll call you. And then three years went by, and I was actually in Greece at the time. And I got a call, and then I got a contract in the fax on my hotel in Greece. And I was never really tried out in that sense, and I wasn't – I don't really know what the other guys did, how many – casting tapes and how many thousands of people that wanted to be on the show but I think I was always like there from the very beginning interesting yeah well that's fantastic so so again I really appreciate um, your time today and everyone who's listening so here's what Frederick uh, and I are going to ideally set up he, amou- he announced that he's going to be having uh, what sounds like a fantastic educational series that he's going to come out with so all of you students listening now and future students this is a great opportunity for you to have Frederick um, as your mastermind leader and as your mentor. And I think all of you will agree that from listening to him today, he will do an absolutely brilliant job at that. So, Frederick Eklund, I want to sincerely thank you for being today's superstar. And I want to thank all of you for joining us for today's interview. And have a great day. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> I just high kicked. Okay, bye. Thank you so much. Bye. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.